These later years of childhood have been flying by. As a mom, I want to not just be available to my kids during these last years they have at home, but I want to feel good and have the energy I need to keep up with their schedule and my own. So my health is a top priority. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and body back into harmony. You're not alone on your wellness journey. Every customer gets one-on-one support to help you meet your goals. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. A healthy gut positively impacts immunity, mental health, sleep, digestion, and skin health. It helps regulate digestion, immunity against bad bacteria, and improve nutrient absorption. The gut has been called the second brain because it contains more than 100 million nerve cells. It is a vitally important piece to our overall health, both physical and mental. So to make sure my gut is working at its potential, I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense to improve my digestion and nutrition absorption, boost my overall immune health, and help with sleep and stress as a bonus. Head to myeq.com and use code PARENTING for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code PARENTING at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50 plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Today, I'm covering a topic I've touched on before, but today I'm going into much more depth, and that's talking to kids about sex. And because of the depth I'm going into, I'm just going to be answering one question. And that question comes from Jessica, who I believe has a three-year-old son. Unfortunately, I cannot for the life of me find her actual email, but I do remember exactly what the question was because I loved it so much because this is such an important question and that is she wants to know obviously how to talk to her child about sex. Her son is starting to ask some questions that she's not sure exactly how to answer, how to disclose in an age-appropriate way, share some things but not too much. She was also wondering about nudity and at what age it might be considered inappropriate to be nude in front of one's children. Now, Jessica, if I missed any part of your question, and I really apologize for misplacing the email, I have no idea how it disappeared. So please write in and I'll answer anything I missed on the next episode right after receiving it. Now, I get pretty deep and somewhat heavy into this subject in some areas, and I use terms that you may or may not be ready for your child to hear. So 
While nothing is explicit by any means, I do use proper and scientific terms for sex and sexual acts. So you may choose to listen to this when you have headphones on or when your child or children are not around. I covered a little bit about sexual development as well as a little bit about this topic of talking to kids about sex in a previous episode, episode number 75. So I'm not going to cover all of that again here, but if you want to learn more about the development of the sexual self, not just physically, but also psychologically, be sure to go back and listen to that episode. I will recover a few of the things that I did share about talking to kids about sex that we really need to have as a background to go into this, and then some other things I did not cover that address the topic more fully and specifically address Jessica's questions as well. So sex and sexuality, but especially sex, is a topic a lot of adults struggle with. It's a topic that we as a society have yet to be really educated and mature about across the board. Now, I'm not sure what generation most of you all are from. I'm guessing most of you are quite a bit younger than me or somewhat younger than me. And hopefully your parents did at least a little better job than mine of sending more sex positive messages. I'm going to share some backstory here just to give an understanding of sex attitudes throughout the most recent decades to show how society and societal norms also affect our views of sex, sexuality, and gender roles. Now for reference, I'm 47. My mom was a young mom. She was born in 1948. She had me right after she turned 21. She was a child of the 50s and 60s. So being raised as a young child in the 50s when sexuality is just forming, meaning for her, sexuality was just forming. She was given a lot of messages of shame and secrecy around sex and sexuality. Now, this was the generation of authoritarian parenting. So you pretty much felt guilt about being human or a child or childlike in almost every sense of the word. My mom hit puberty in the early 60s still before the sexual revolution. Now, I remember her telling me then in high school that only, not telling me when I was in high school, but telling me about that when she was in high school, the message that she got was that bad girls did, but good girls didn't dare. Now, with the feminist and sexual revolution in the late 60s and early 70s, which was during the time my mom was in college and her early 20s, she had some of that influence. So she tried, and I think she tried her best to be more progressive and share more sex positive messages. Unfortunately, she sent a lot of messages that were quite the opposite. Now the things we say are only part of the message, but the things we do speak just as loudly. So while my mom tried to sound open about sex by saying things like, you can ask me anything, at the same time she would send messages that said, I'm really uncomfortable talking about this. Some of these memories are things like, Um, I walked in on my sister when she was seven years old in her room and she was reading a book by herself in bed at night. Now, the book was called Where Did I Come From? Now, I was 14 at the time and it just kind of shocked me. And maybe my mom did talk with my sister before or after, I don't know. But it sent a definite message to me that my sister had to learn about sex on her own too. Now, my mom left an article by my bed Uh, My bedside table was about HIV AIDS, and this was around 1988, the beginning of the epidemic. There was a sticky note attached, and it says, let me know if you have any questions. So the message I got pretty loud and clear growing up was, I'm not comfortable discussing topics around sex and sexuality. So 
there was no way I was ever going to go to my mom with any questions unless I was desperate. Now, I don't think my mom was much different than others in that time period. If anything, she may have actually been better than most by bringing up topics at all in any form. I think things have changed a lot and that parents today are much better at talking about sex and sexuality, much more open to talking about it. And just by me getting questions, I've gotten several about this topic, um, to talking about kids during younger ages. And they're doing a way better job of sending some sex positive message, even if most are not so comfortable in having these discussions or don't always know exactly how or when to answer the questions. So that's what I'm going to help with today. Now, in the last episode where I talked about this, number 75, I talked about sex positivity, but it's a really important concept. So I'm going to revisit it here as well as go into a little more depth on it. Now, as a student of psychology and one who is also seriously considering returning to school to get a PhD in human sexuality, I have been doing a lot of reading and listening to lectures on just this topic for the past year. Now, overall, sex positivity means having an attitude that sex and the various ways of expressing oneself sexually are a natural and healthy part of being human. Sex positive people have the following five traits. They are open to learning more about sex and sexual activity. Two, they understand the importance of safer sex for themselves and their partners and therefore engage in safe sex practices. Three, they consider sex to be a healthy part of life that should be enjoyed. This also means that sex can be discussed without shame or awkwardness, that it's not a taboo subject. Now, yes, this takes a little practice, but it also means there's a time and a place for everything. So it doesn't mean just going around the office spouting out about our exploits. It means respecting boundaries and obviously anywhere in public, this is a big no, but at the office, it will hopefully get you shown to the door. Number four, they understand that sometimes they or their partner or someone with whom they are trying to engage may not want to have sex with them and they are cordial and accepting. No questions asked, no pressuring. They don't take it personally. Number five, they accept other people's sexual practices and sexual orientations so long as the participants all feel safe, cared for, are of legal age, and of the mental capacity to make sound judgments for themselves. Now you can frame this attitude with your cultural, moral, and ethical standards around human connection, relationships, taking care of each other in whatever rules or format you feel should be in place for it to occur, but also without placing those same rules or formats on everyone. In other words, if you strongly believe that people should be in love or in a commitment or both, or even married before engaging in sex, share that. You can frame your answers with that and still send the message that sex is a positive experience and that it's also important to take care of your health in the form of staying disease-free, getting tested, and using other safe sex practices. So when it comes to talking to our kids about sex, approaching it with this attitude or as much as we can will really help alleviate that discomfort. Honestly, the more we answer the questions or bring up topics in age-appropriate ways as our kids age, the easier it gets, I promise. The more comfortable we are, the more comfortable they are, and the more likely they will be to come to us with questions, even if as teens, they go to their peers first. If we have always been open, honest, and knowledgeable, 
they will be more likely to come to us and check the answer of their peers with ours. Now, you know what? I don't feel I can do this topic complete justice if I don't go back into talking just a little bit for a moment about sexual development. So I want to just touch on this one. Toddlers and babies and even fetuses on an ultrasound can be seen touching their private parts, their penis or vagina. Now, this is just another body part to be discovered. When we see this, it's important to name the part just like we would any other. That's your penis. You found your penis or you found your vagina. It's also important to use proper terms rather than cutesy names like PP or wiener or what have you. And I knew a girl in therapy who called her vagina her cookie monster. It took me a minute to figure out what she was talking about. These cutesy names send a message that sex, sexuality, or sexual organs are bad or dangerous or shameful or to be avoided and not discussed, secretive, etc. It sends a lot of dangerous messages, not the least of which is that if someone touches you there, then it's something to keep a secret. We really don't want to be doing that. As your child gets a little older, around age two or three, a little older, when you see your child touching or playing with his or her genitals, you can give a gentle reminder. You can say something like, I know it feels good to touch your penis, but that's something we do in private. You can then offer your child to go to his or her room. This teaches that there's nothing wrong with it, but that there is a better place and where that place is. Now, little kids will usually just stop and go on to something else, but it sets up an air of openness and normalcy around the subject of sexuality. This is the beginning of setting that environment where your child feels comfortable coming to you, not just questions and issues around sex and sexuality, but really around any tough subject, relationships, feelings, drugs, alcohol. If we want to be our child's main source for information and guidance, we don't want to give any idea that certain topics are up for discussion and others are taboo. So it's very important to never shame a child over any sexual behavior. When it comes to family nudity, generally you can let the child be the lead on this. When the child feels uncomfortable, they will be the ones to start dressing behind their own closed doors and no longer wanting to be naked in front of one or more parents or siblings. Many times this doesn't happen until around puberty. Now, I still remember when I was around 14 and I had begun to get increasingly more uncomfortable with my dad walking around the house in his tidy whities He used to get on the phone, you know, back when they were attached to the wall in the evenings, in his underwear, and then he would scratch his butt. <laughs> Finally, I asked my mom to ask him to please wear shorts or something around the house. I wasn't comfortable going to him directly myself. I think he was a little hurt, but from then on, he did wear shorts. So when kids get to the age where they're feeling uncomfortable, they'll let you know. And the honest truth is there was nothing wrong with my dad walking around his own house in his underwear, and he could have just as easily said, deal with it. And maybe if he stopped scratching his butt, that would have been fine too. But anyway, these things can be up for negotiation or discussion as well for you to decide as a family what is or isn't appropriate or comfortable or within your values and how you want to compromise in these situations. So anyway, when it comes to your children and their nudity, try to embrace this and not make a big deal about it, even if you're feeling slightly uncomfortable. If your hope is for them to feel more comfortable with their body than perhaps you did or you do. Because the truth is, we aren't born with shame for nudity. We learn it. In our house, our kids are still extremely comfortable with their nudity. The oldest is a little more modest, most probably due to hanging out with older kids and getting messages from them. They all sleep naked. The oldest always gets dressed before coming downstairs, but is comfortable in front of us, his parents, and his siblings. 
Now, my younger son gets up on weekends and will stay naked until we tell him he needs to get dressed. He's extremely comfortable in his own skin, which I think is great. We joke that he's going to be a nudist when he grows up. Now, for questions about sexual body parts, sex, and sexuality, and how to answer them, I'm going to go through generally what questions you can expect to get at which ages so that you can be prepared to answer these. And I'm going to get into these right after a word from our sponsor. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HIPAA 14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. By Heart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, ByHeart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Our blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum, along with broken down, partially hydrolyzed proteins. ByHeart is an easy-to-digest formula. In addition to its patented protein blend, our formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. ByHeart is the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Now that we're back from a break, I want to get into what questions you can expect by age so that you can be prepared to answer these as directly and honestly as possible. The ask me laters, go ask your mom or go ask your dad, or I don't know answers are all ways of sending that subtle message that we don't talk about sex or sex is an uncomfortable or taboo subject. If you are really busy, like in the middle of fixing dinner, then that's one thing. Then an answer of that's a great question and I look forward to answering it. Let's sit down together after dinner and then actually doing it sends a very different message. In general, if a child is asking a question, 
they are ready for the answer, at least in a broad, low-level answer. If they ask more probing questions, then you can keep answering each question, as it means they are interested, curious, and ready to know more. If you don't know an answer, it's okay, and you can say something like, that's a great question, and I don't want to give you the wrong information, so let me do some research and get back to you. If you're feeling uncomfortable, and especially if it's showing, it's okay and actually good to be honest with yourself and with your child, but also to continue to press forward and answer questions. You could say, you know, sex is a hard topic for me to discuss about sometimes because in my family growing up, we weren't allowed to talk about it, or we didn't talk about it, or I didn't get a lot of information. I wish we did, and I want you to feel comfortable coming to me with your questions, and so this is something I'm going to work on. So for ages, ages two to five, as children are discovering about gender and their own and societal gender norms and roles, they may ask the difference between boys and girls or men and women. You can answer simply that men and boys have penises and women and girls have vaginas. If they're closer to four or five, you can add that women can carry babies. You may also want to talk about breasts. Now, ages six to nine, children will often ask about the basic mechanics of sex and or how babies are made. Things like, what is sex? Or how does sex work? Or how are babies made? Are the types of questions you can expect to hear. So be ready to explain how sex works. Now, we adults know, or should know, that there are lots of different types of sex besides vaginal penile sex. But for simplicity at this age, you can explain that sex between a man and a woman is when the penis goes in the vagina. Obviously, if a child is asking about making babies, that simplifies this question. If you're part of a same-sex couple, you would then either elaborate or probably even start out by being more inclusive in your definition. Answer each question as it comes. How do babies get out? Why do people have sex? It's not necessary at all to go into any information about STIs at this age, that's sexually transmitted infections, what we used to commonly call STDs. Sometimes it's still interchangeable. But sharing your morals around sex is a good idea. Really important is to also talk about consent. That sex happens when the people who are involved really want to. If someone isn't really excited to participate, then it's never okay to move forward. And consent is another really big topic that actually flows to a lot of other areas of life, not just sex, but it will spill over to sex if the lessons are not taught and it's not practiced in your home. So I will cover that topic in depth down the road as well. If your child has not asked anything or much at all, By the time they're getting eight and especially nine, then it's time to sit down and give the basic mechanics of sex and how babies are made. Ages 10 to 12. Now they can understand more in-depth mechanics and the emotional implications of sex. Children can be feeling both curious and scared. During these years, you want to be sure to be talking about, again, even if they're not asking, about bodily changes, feelings, insecurities, relationships, connections, treating people with respect, care, and concern in all ways. Now, I know this is a tough topic for a lot of parents, but if you can, talk about what self-stimulation is and how it's natural and very common. You want to start to talk a little bit about STIs, introducing them, what they are. You want to say that they are infections and diseases that are passed by sexual contact and how, in general, they can be transmitted. 
Now, this is such an important topic because one in four teen girls in the U.S. has an STI. So girls and women really need to be empowered to protect themselves. We women, unfortunately, are more susceptible to STIs. You want to talk about not rushing into sex. There's no hurry. You want to share that 60% of teens regret their first sexual experience. You can start by planting these concepts and ideals around sex as they get closer to or are starting puberty. Now, ages 13 to 19, during the time kids are very often fascinated by sex and things of a sexual nature. Self-stimulation is very common. This is when it's time to really get into these topics more deeply. STIs, the different kinds, how to protect yourself from them. You want to start to talk about contraception and emotional responsibility. You want to talk about having the right partner, about having a partner who they care deeply for, love, or are even married first if that's what you want for them, and the one who takes good care of them. As an adult, I have no judgments about people having sex with whomever, as long as they're being safe and consensual. But when it comes to teens and their earliest experiences, the longer they wait, the better. The better equipped they are to make good decisions, to find a caring and respectful partner, to do the legwork with being safe. If a teen isn't ready to talk about safe sex, contraceptions, their fears, their needs, their feelings with their partner, they are not ready. These are all messages that teens need to get loud and clear. So hopefully you can see why it's so important to talk about this early and often. You want your teen to come to you if he or she is considering having sex with their current partner. You can ask all these questions and make sure he or she is really thinking about it logically as much as humanly possible, especially for a teen. Have they talked about STIs with their partner? Has their potential partner had sexual contact with others before? And I'm not just talking intercourse, we're talking oral or any other kind of sexual contact. If so, have they been tested? When was the last time they had sexual contact? Did they use condoms? Now, obviously, as the parent, you would know this person and know whether you think this person is one who is mature, respectful, kind, and caring enough and can ask the questions needed to get your child thinking about those questions and answers and if there's any holes in there that need to be covered. Then you can ask your teen, how do you think he or she, the partner, will react if you're about to have sex and you change your mind at the last minute? How do you think he or she will act towards you tomorrow? Obviously, this is a huge topic that unfolds over time. But again, hopefully you see why it's so important that we want to talk about sex early. And then as kids age, why we need to talk about it more and more often, especially as we see them dating and getting closer to a particular person. Research does show that talking about sex does not increase sexual activity. And actually both teen pregnancy rates and STI infection rates have been shown to increase with abstinence-only education and decrease when we teach more comprehensive sex education. And it's been shown time and again, not just one study. Now, I will make a class with all of this information and go much more in-depth 
into how to talk to kids about sex, the exact questions and answers in the near future. But if you want to have some more information, there is a book I recommend called Talking to Kids About Sex by Dr. Laura Berman. My only misgiving about her book is that it seems to be a bit heteronormative, but otherwise comprehensive and non-shaming. Great information about ways to talk about and answer questions. There's another book I'm going through right now that I may recommend in the future, but I haven't gone through it quite enough to know if I feel like it's got all the messages that I feel are appropriate and inclusive. So I'm going to go through that some more before I make a recommendation, or if I do, I made with some caveats. If you have a question about talking to kids about sex or any other parenting question you'd like answered, you can send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.